What's up, everybody? We are back in a 10 o'clock hour. It's J-Maul Green on the Bum Radio Show, the bold, uncensored movement. What a great thing about speaking the truth is you don't have to memorize it. And I got my co-host, who was 30 minutes late today, oh. uh, Janella Curtis uh, in the building. I don't want to hear what happened. What she was happened 30 was minutes late today and very disappointed. And so let's get into the to, to back into the um, uh, discussion here. We have some special guests um, that are running for the 7th Congressional District here in, in, in the city of Chicago on the west side, um, you know, trying to get the west side some grass. You know, west side ain't got okay, no grass. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to do the west side jokes, y'all. But, you know, I got a lot of problems, but I'm glad I ain't from the west side. All right, now. <laughs> That's all right, I got to. I was raised on both sides. All right. my, my dad was on the oh, west side. Mom was, was on the south side. Uh, I was raised on both sides. I so saw you eat Uncle Remus yesterday. Nah, so, I would uh, never eat that garbage. I ain't gonna lie. Disgusting. And y'all, my first day on the job, I pulled up to the office. Yeah. And it was a police chase. Right. It was a police chase. He threw the crack over there, and I promise you, this is exactly what <laughs> yeah. happened. That's and why you like, were late. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was okay. late. <laughs> yeah, that's why you was late. Yeah, right. All right, so let me let me talk about these two. Kena Collis is a nationally recognized gun violence prevention and healthcare advocate, running for the Illinois seventh congress- congressional district seat. With a proven track record of policy making, coalition building, and working with communities to improve public health and safety, Kena is ready to represent the needs of diverse citizens in our district and bring to bring a fresh voice to Washington DC. 2018, Kena built a statewide coalition and helped pass historic civil rights legislation to establish the Illinois Council on Women and Girls. This council prioritizes the needs of women, including women who identify as transgender, when evaluating state policies and allocating resources. In response to the Trump administration's elimination of the White House Council on Women and Girls, Kena was determined to create a state-level council in Illinois. She traveled the state listening to the needs and perspectives of hundreds of women in community focus groups and the bill she co-authored passed with overwhelming part bipartisan support in Illinois General Assembly and was signed into law on August 2018. She's a <laughs> <laughs> it was work, y'all. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna talk about a lot. They got loan bios. We're gonna talk about they're gonna be able to talk about themselves yet. a little bit. <laughs> Anthony Clark, he was born on the south side of Chicago. Oh, you on the south side. You born on the right. south side. Yeah, That's what we're talking about, man. That's what we're talking about. I'm the minority this in this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh to two working class parents. His father is a retired proofreader and military veteran, and his mother is a retired accounts coordinator. Both born and raised in the Morgan Park area of Chicago. Growing up at Oak Park, Anthony experienced, experienced firsthand how wealth disparities and demographics determine an individual's possibilities. When traveling to visit family and friends, he saw how a block, an area code, and a zip code could be the difference in access to opportunity. Like many, Anthony was impacted by death, incarceration, poverty, and illness. Anthony realized his parents' dreams by becoming his the first individual in his family and his immediate family to obtain a college degree, earning a B.A. in communication, an M.A. in criminal justice while serving active duty in the United States military. 2009, Anthony was honorably discharged from the Air Force due to a service-connected uh, disability. He became a teacher, taught alternative okay. charter in CPS schools, and uh, as an educator with a wide range of promising high school students with a focus on building generational socio and economic empowerment. And uh, he's continued his education with all these da- damn degrees. Damn, you got many more degrees no than question. me. All right, so... I want to introduce to the Bomb Radio Show, uh, Kena Collins and Anthony Clark. 
Welcome to the show, y'all. Welcome to the show. Woo. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having us. us. And uh, they're running against longtime Congressman Danny Davis. Danny Davis is uh, uh, a big viewer of the show, I've heard. He, he tell many people. <laughs> I'm done. He is. I'm, I'm being honest. He might be listening. So okay. he, he, told, he told my mother last week that this was one of his favorite shows in really? WLM. So, yes. Yeah, so uh, it's what, pretty what crazy. It? It's I know. It's 10, it's 10 p.m. It's 10 p.m. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's still up? Cool. Very interesting. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, I want to kind of dive into the discussion a little bit, but I want to first get both of you guys' opinions on his R. Kelly situation yes, so that we can then dive into what's going in. on with the 7th District. Um, Anthony, oh, I'm sorry, ladies first, Kena Collins. Uh, come on, tell tell me. Neutral here, yeah. No, I can talk, I can go ahead and give the opinion. Yeah, yeah. I um, mean, we know that this issue is pervasive: sexual yeah. assault mm-hmm. and harassment. What makes this particular situation important to highlight, and why I'm glad it's being highlighted, mm-hmm. is because it's spotlighting little black girls and black women, mm-hmm. yeah. and kind of the discardment that we continuously see in the culture around that. Which was what was the impetus for me writing, co-authoring Illinois Council on Women and Girls Act mm-hmm. and the protection of particularly women of color. Yeah. Um, we know that studies have shown, um, studies done by Georgetown have shown little black girls get suspended at higher rates. Yep. They are seen as less uh, innocent and least um, of need of protection. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that is exactly what came out. We also know that wow. black women are five times more likely to be shot in domestic violence uh, wow. situations. So the statistics in the studies have always been there. Mm-hmm. I think what this highlighted is how in pop culture, um, black women are objectified, we're sexualized, and essentially our bodies are used, um, when they're used, they're discarded. Oh, and wow. so this has been going on since Aaliyah. Like mm-hmm. that was probably yeah. p- before Aaliyah, but that was the most public one yeah. that, that we saw. Yeah. And, you know, it's just to hear... All of the story, it was really triggering. Yeah. Um, I'll say this last thing. When I was doing the Illinois Council on Women and Girls Act, I traveled to 68 counties out of 102 in the state. Mm. And every single group that I did um, in each of these counties, there wasn't a room that I walked into that 100% of us as women hadn't been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. Right. 100% of the room, mm-hmm. all of us. Jeez. So that is. Um, a commonality, regardless of whatever your political party is, your socioeconomic yes. status, yep. women across the board, but particularly those who are undocumented, black women, those with disabilities, those who are poor, we are silenced the most, and it is extremely pervasive. I agree. Yeah. And that's why I talked about most yeah. of the women that I know in my life have been, um, had some type of sexual abuse happen in their life, which That's is right. alarming to me. Anthony, yeah. talk to me about this yeah, real quick. Yeah, I mean, uh, the R. Kelly situation is, is interesting because it's actually personal for me. Uh, you know, if we remember the video that came out long ago, uh, the young woman who was actually an extremely young girl at that time that that video was exposed was ac- actually went to our high school. Oh, so wow. I was a junior when she was a freshman. We knew wow. her personally. Uh, R. Kelly used to visit our high school, come to our games, so on and oh. so forth. He was presented as a godfather. Uh, so it was extremely mm. personal for us, in a mm. sense, when everything was exposed. Uh, because, of course, being young, we didn't really know how to truly articulate that. Yeah. you know. Right. So moving forward, we've always mobilized against R. Kelly in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was one of the individuals. We actually led a protest in front of his studio uh, oh, where right. counter-protesters came out. I don't know if you saw the video where Burberry yeah. Coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, was out with his loudspeaker, and yeah. I was going against him uh, because, again, I feel like as a male, as a black male, mm-hmm. we are inherently part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shout out to Brenda Tracy. You know, she started a movement. She's a rape survivor. She travels wow. the country. Uh, she's a warrior. Uh, she started the movement, set the expectations. So we collaborate with her, and one of the things she preaches is men need to be part of the solution. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I aim to do, truly be an ally in verb form. Uh, so one of the things we've done in our community within the 7th Congressional District is I've actually partnered with young women within our high school, and we actually changed the sexual assault policy uh, at our school level, at our district level, uh, because a rape had occurred three years ago, and it was being covered up. It was being brushed under the rug. Uh, young women leaders came to me, uh, you know, based upon the work that we do in the community, uh, and I support it. You know, I got behind them, empowered them, empowered their voices. We started a petition, and we basically rocked the boat, and we were able to change the, the policy at a district level yeah. uh, within D200 and D97 within the Oak Park community. Uh, so it's extremely personal. Again, I, you know, I challenge all men out there, recognize and understand that inherently you don't have to directly be a rapist. You don't have yeah. to directly yeah. be uh, someone who sexually assaulted someone to perpetuate 
to perpetuate a systemic issue uh, that encourages this this culture. Yeah. Uh, so we have to truly be allies in verb form. We have to step up and use our privilege as men uh, to empower women. You know, similar to what we've done in our community uh, to push for real change. Okay. So I'm glad our Kelly's being yeah. brought to accountability. I'm, it's a little I bit too late. Too. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it is. It is definitely years. late. Three one two three seven four eight one three zero is is the the calling number. So give me. Both of you guys are running against Congressman Danny Davis. Uh, now, give me uh, three t- in two sentences. Why? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to make it hard for you. Right. Both of you. You know, a, a lot of people talk about how it, it is it is a, a hard sell to fight someone who has such great name recognition. Mm-hmm. But give me two sentences on why it's you. Now, of course, you got many policy and everything else you want to say. But why today? Give me, give me your your uh, your hook to why mm-hmm. you are that candidate that I should be looking at. All right, this time, Anthony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, definitely, no question. So, two sentences. Currently, we have an incumbent who focuses on individual empowerment, focused on maintaining status quo. Uh, we are a movement that is focused on root causes, pushing for systemic change, empowering people in our communities. So that's essentially the purpose. Kena. Yeah. Um, so we're running on uh, social, racial and economic equity and justice. And being from the Austin community, I am the only candidate currently that is from a working class community living in a marginalized community in the district. I was born. I was raised there when I went to see in 2020, I'm going to stay there. Um, and with that, we need to push and hold accountable the Democratic Party about elevating new leadership as we see this groundswell across the country um, of diversity of opinion of where the direction of the party needs to go. Okay. Now, you your stance on gun violence is more of as a public health uh, epidemic. Uh, and I want to hear some of your gun gun violence stances. I've saw something about banning guns and assault weapons. What is you know we got gun violence uh, 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 really plaguing the communities in our in both of these districts from from Danny Davis as well as Congressman Russ district. We'll get to that one <laughs> on a different show. But what is what can you do and what will you do mm-hmm. as the congressman or congresswoman to really do something uh, to really show something innovative to the district to really reduce gun violence and be a helping hand to the city of Chicago, Kena. Absolutely. So once again, being from Austin, um, it is one of the top five most violent neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, not just in Illinois 7th Congressional District. But if we're speaking specifically about Illinois 7th, Austin literally maintains 28% of the gun violence that happens in all of the state of Illinois. Yeah. So that small neighborhood yeah. represents 28% mm-hmm. of all of the gun violence in the entire state. Yeah. Um, and it's an extremely, you know, small neighborhood. So for me, knowing that that's the issue, we do have to look at it as a public health epidemic, mm-hmm. meaning that we need to invest in things like trauma-informed care. What we've seen a lot of congressional leaders and even uh, other elected officials do is throw administrative ways to fix it, criminalize it, but you can't talk about violence without talking about the economics. If we're not pouring in funding to to help deal with the PTSD, the anxiety, the depression that everyday people in some of these communities are dealing with, we're never going to get to the root. What does that look like? Congresswoman, first, that you're going in (laughs) in the Congress. What is the solution? What's what's that solution? So the first solution is in basically taking federal funding and investing in trauma-informed care. That means getting counselors and social workers in schools, particularly middle middle schools and high schools. That means supporting legislation like universal background checks. I, I firmly believe in a banning, banning assault rifles. I believe in banning um, what well, bump stocks are now banned. And I also believe that we need to raise the federal age to 21 for somebody to purchase a gun. And other, you, this basically gun violence is a issue that needs to be comprehensively fixed. Yeah. We yes. cannot just tackle it in Illinois 7th. Yes. Because Illinois has some of the strictest gun laws in the country. The strictest but Indiana, gun laws. Indiana, Missouri, Wisconsin do not. So it would have to be going. Going into the caucus in the 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 congressional so more chambers, fighting. you're going to fight for funding. You're going to vote for bills that. But that you also have to work you, cohesively with other legislators and other states to to focus on that. 
Anthony. Yeah, definitely. Uh, first and foremost, I want to say something. You know, I know Keenan, you know, I wish her well. You know, she's a great person. Uh, Oak Park has a lot of working class individuals in the community as well within the 7th Correctional mm-hmm. District. Okay. So I want to shout them out as well. So many people okay. like my parents, they save up, they struggle to try to move to a community like Oak Park to provide better opportunity. Yeah. So they're working class also. Okay. So I want to shout out. Too and I heated see them, up in here, y'all. Yeah, yeah. Oak Park is <laughs> one of the wealthiest medium struggling. incomes in and the Illinois 7th Congressional District. But, but if we understand, but if we understand Oak Park, the majority of black and brown individuals are renters, and they live on the outskirts of Oak Park, primarily in the Austin area, on Austin that divides Oak yeah. Park and Austin. So I just want to shout out the working class individuals in the Oak Park community as well. Understood. And also I want to point out, I was actually a victim of gun violence. I was shot in 2007. Uh, my military partner was shot right in front of me. Uh, I've lost 11 students to gun violence in my 10 years of teaching. As you can see, I'm wearing a button right wow. now, yeah. Elijah Sims, who was murdered in August of 2016. Uh, so though I'm not from the Austin community, I do primarily a lot of work in the Austin community okay. uh, with my nonprofit, Suburban Unity Alliance. We've essentially pushed overall over $50,000 into the Austin community. Most recently, we uh, granted $5,000 to the Austin Family and Community Center uh, for their summer program Mm -hmm. because we truly believe nothing stops a bullet like opportunity. And when we talk about gun violence, we have to understand the interconnected issues that exist. Uh, So first and foremost, at a congressional level, we need to look at the Dickey Amendment uh, because the Dickey Amendment prevented uh, Congress from uh, providing funding to the CDC to truly investigate uh, you know, gun violence as a pervasive issue, as a systemic issue uh, that exists, because mm-hmm. it is. Also, we need to look at how, again, the interconnected issues exist. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that if we push for a federal jobs guarantee, yeah. again, we're talking about opportunity. If we truly push for housing as a human right, again, okay. we're talking about opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if we truly invest in our infrastructure and in our communities, let's look at the food deserts that exist as well in the Austin community, in the Maywood community, and multiple communities in the district. Mm-hmm. We basically have a hotbed of individuals that are fighting and struggling for the same resources. So no question, you're going to have high levels of gun violence that exist. So we truly have to address the interconnected issues. Of course, you know, we eliminate so, bump stops. So yeah. can I just say so, something to interject? So yeah. there was an omnibus bill that was just passed. Uh, shout out to Representative Lucy McBath, who I worked with through Generation Progress and Center for American Progress. The Dickey Amendment is no longer a hurdle because the CDC now has actual defined um, funding that's going to go to the study. So that's not something that we need to focus on. What we need to focus on is the immediate issues that are going on and not just communities like Austin, but we're talking Inglewood is in the district, Back of the Yards is in the district, Bronzeville is in the district, East Garfield Mm -hmm. Park is in the district and while that's no dig to any of the western suburbs because they do have working class people that are in those suburbs, you can definitely tell... We don't have a western... Wait, here's a fact. I have 15 years less to live than Anthony does just based off of the zip code that I live in. And that's the reality across this country. If you go to Ferguson, if you go to Baltimore, if you go to Baton Rouge, that is the the Uh, distinction. So it wasn't to slight working class... Yeah, it wasn't right. to. I mean, I mean, yeah, I'm a I black male, that. so 15 years. I mean, but that's just a statistic. That's just a statistic. Our black boys. Average. Yeah. I work with a lot of black mothers and brown mothers who consistently that. are concerned about losing their sons on Absolutely. a daily and weekly basis. It is a real threat. They don't know it's if their young threat. men are coming home. And the Dickey Amendment just changed. But again, we know this is bigger than legislation. Throughout history, we've had progressive and bold legislation push, and yet and still we have oppression. So we truly have to get boots to the ground, educate our communities, and empower our communities because one of the greatest messages is do not wait for anyone else to do the work that you can do for yourselves. Mm -hmm. We have to control our communities. We have to fight for our communities, and we have to get out there. So so let me dive in this, all right? Now, (laughs) you guys know the district district that you guys are running in. My friend was just killed in this mm-hmm. district, yes. okay? Brittany four, Hill. Four blocks from my home. Yeah. I remember we talked about that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Brittany Hill, um, who had a child in her arms, mm-hmm. uh, was killed not too long ago. And, oh, Mason. Uh, me and her father are fighting, you know, constantly, and he's with the new movement. Uh, solutions start with us, and he's helping yep. me lead that um, to really have some real solutions. So now when we talk about gun violence, mm-hmm. all of the problems, we could talk about all the problems. You talked about many problems that people are fighting over, right? Right. Now, Tell me what's your one. What's number one? What's the one thing that if I'm going to Congress to fight for to, to really help gun violence, what's that one thing? Kena. I would definitely say um, health care equity. And the reason why is because, as you know, there were several portions of the south side of Chicago that didn't have trauma units. So we don't get the federal funding a to like make sure that the people in these districts have the ability to close that equity gap. Health also includes things like 
uh, housing. It also includes things like public transportation and safety. And we're just not looking at these issues as public health epidemics. And the conditions that folks are living in are breeding the symptom, which is gun violence. Okay, Anthony, one. Yeah, What's I number mean, one? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Jump in? No, Anthony, no, number so if one. If we're talking about root causes that, again, lead to gun violence, it has to be job opportunities. It has to be investment in the community. So, of course, health care is extremely important and systemic, yes. but I'm trying to stop them from getting shot in the first place. You know, health care yes. and the trauma centers, of course, are on the back end. Now, so I'm, I'm on a yeah, – I'm not going to – Health is at the core. Federal listen, job opportunities. Right, yes, right. but I'm not going to get in, not gonna get in the middle of this. But what I right. – <laughs> Can I say this one thing? But what I will say is – Jobs is should be number one for, for jobs are number one, but healthcare is is also right. uh, something that we should be fighting for right. on yes. that level too. Yeah, but jobs are number one. But no jobs yeah. are included so in healthcare. It is. As well. it, it is. It could be <laughs> intertwined. Right, guys, it could be me, intertwined. Go ahead, Janelle. One thing, and I want you guys, if you haven't heard of uh, Bronzeville, um, uh, has Bright Star. Uh, church, right? Mm-hmm. And they're building a trauma center. The turn center. The turn center. I mm-hmm. really encourage you guys to research it if you haven't. Research the hell out of it and use it as a model because mm-hmm. they are building a trauma center in, right. in Bronzeville. Yep. What, what street is that off of? Uh, King I don't know Drive? what street is. Pastor Chris Harris. Pastor Chris okay. Harris, absolutely. But it's well, something you, right. you man. But one thing I want to jump in and say real quick. Okay. Now talk there. about healthcare. She talked about healthcare. Now tell me about no, again, healthcare. You know, again, single payer healthcare is a human right. Of course, there's interconnected. And both of you guys believe in Medicare we, for all. We talk about that. Single of course, payer. single payer healthcare. Okay. Single payer healthcare is extremely important. Yes. And of course, the Green New Deal. They both again involve job creation and job opportunity, a okay. federal jobs guarantee. But one thing I wanted to jump on in regards to being boost to the ground that you're dealing with and I'm dealing with is. Yeah. With Elijah Sims, Mm -hmm. we're literally, I'm in Austin every day. I know who I see and who I don't see out in the streets in Austin. I'm there. You know, we set up our grill. We set up our sound system. We're trying to break up the monotony that exists. We're partnering with organizations within the Austin community. And one thing we realize is we we literally know who killed Elijah. Right. Like mm-hmm. he and his mother, we're best mm-hmm. friends. Like that is my mm-hmm. sister. You know, th- you know this. Mm-hmm. So many individuals are afraid Ooh. to come forward. So one of the things we also have to address is the the relationships between our police departments and our community. Definitely. Because how I do don't do believe that? that our police do departments do are doing the much. Because they're not focused on community policing models. Okay. They're not focused on community policing models. They're not focused on protecting our community members. But, but when we talk about immediate concerns, I ask for the mayor for a citywide witness protection yes, you program. Did. Now, yes, you do. Do you not guys? Only that, not only that, I think that when we're talking about law enforcement and there needs to be a complete overhaul in the federal level as well as the state level one of the things that i worked with live free chicago here and pushing is the office of violence prevention Um, an office of violence prevention which is a model that's used in places like minnesota and Mm -hmm. the twin cities all over um, is an office specifically dedicated to the reduction of gun violence but not Mm -hmm. just gun violence but domestic violence and other forms of violence in the community Mm -hmm. what we need on the federal level if we're talking about police community relationships Mm -hmm is one of the first things that I want to do is sponsor legislation on the federal level to make a national database on police shootings. There is no database or entry point for people to track how many police shootings have happened across this country and for however long. Mm-hmm. One of the first pieces of legislation mm-hmm. that I want to push forth yeah. is sponsoring that the first right. ever federally mandated national uh, and, uh, database on police shootings because we it's an epidemic also and, in our community. And, and if yeah. I could jump in, you know, I think one of the most important things we have to realize as black and brown and impoverished communities is what this nation is built upon. Yeah. This nation is built upon capitalism and white supremacy. Right. If we understand our history, the police force was founded to maintain and control slavery. Slaves, yeah. They wanted to keep slaves on plantations. Mm. Fast forward to 2019, they want to keep black and brown individuals within their impoverished communities. They don't want you traveling to Oak Park to where the median income is $84,000 or to River Forest to where the median income is over $100,000. They want you to stay in the Austin community where the median income is $36,000. So... Mm. Honestly, we have to completely talk about, seriously, do we abolish the police forces? Do we completely overturn the police forces because they're built upon oppression? We could talk about legislation all we want to. We could pass legislation. Throughout history, we've passed legislation. That's, that's pretty radical. Still, are you, are you, no are you calling for an abolish of the police department? No question. I feel like we need to definitely talk about it. It needs to be well, on the table. About well, because, again, well, we, need to, we, we need to have it, 100% reforms reform. because it's built yeah. upon oppression. Do you believe in so, abolishing the police no, department? No, I don't. And that's okay. not my stance. What I do think needs to be put into place is accountability. Okay. Right. So I also think that we need a United States National Commission on Criminal Justice Reform where we basically make it a, a, a 
kind of what CPAC has been pushing for, too, yeah. where on the federal level, we are bringing the voices of experts in the communities who are in their communities actually working on restorative justice practices. Yeah. I think it's not very feasible to say that once we get rid of police, like what what next would you do? Um, and a lot of people don't have the answer for that. I know there's great abolitionists on the ground who are doing work, and I respect that work. Yeah. But how do we make that applicable to the federal level? Mm-hmm. So it's not to, to diss the idea of of what Anthony believes in, but what it is to say is that we do need to rehab and reform and bring some of those restorative justice practices that have already been implemented in these communities right. and have worked. But, but one thing I'm saying and what I'm putting out to the community, mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you look at Las Vegas and certain areas, you know, community policing models have shown progress in the sense of police officers investing in the community, being from the communities they serve, starting with individuals that are young and working their way up. But if the game is rigged, if we recognize that by design the game is rigged, what sense does it make to pick another team? Mm. You're still going to lose. Black and brown and poor individuals have been losing since the dawn of this country because it's built upon, again, capitalism and white supremacy. So we have to completely overhaul the systems right. and recognize that uh, so, to change policy. So we gotta, we, we ain't got much time. Now give me your one policy. Let's, let's try to keep it uh, short and let's not make it a dog fight in here today. Um, but I do, number one, I thank both of you guys for running because both of you have some amazing ideas and I think you're going to give a lot to uh, this district and we're going to get to that ending question in a minute. But tell me, what is one innovative policy that you plan to, or innovative legislation, have you came up with it yet, That something that you want to push? You see AOC come up with the Green New Deal, right? What is something that you want to draft or if it's, or if it's an issue that you want to draft around that you think matters to your district? Kena. Yeah, I definitely think what I just said, the supporting and sponsoring the first so ever federally mandated national okay. database for police shootings, because I was on the front lines with you, Jay Maul, yeah. when we were fighting for Laquan and Quintonio. And then I went to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And guess what? Alton Sterling got shot execution style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was organizing there. So for me. If we're going to be transformative, then we have to take bold actions to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be something that's tangible, something sustainable, something that has data. And, and tell that me, what is that database? Uh, how can that database benefit? The yeah. So I think that when these police shootings happen, the number one thing that they pivot to is that, oh, it's it's such a rare thing. Right. But we don't know that because we've never seen the data behind that. Yeah. As you know, the work that we did by organizing for Laquan McDonald push, it changed the whole political landscape in Chicago and it pushed for the consent decree and got the consent decree passed. Mm -hmm. But we were taking direct action organizing and turning it into electoral power and organizational power. And that's exactly what we need to do on the federal level. Give me your one, Anthony. Yeah, I'm going to give you two. And I just want to say real quick, if you look at our websites, if you look at our platforms, we have over 20 policy positions that are fully articulated. We're not giving just We're going to get to y'all. So I just want to shout out. But two things that we are pushing for that I think are bold that are at the forefront is right now we're the only the only movement that I see that is pushing for and articulating reparations on our page due to and as well as decriminal sex work. I didn't see it on your website. And the decriminal sex work. work. Those are two things that are fully articulated. And we are the only movement that have the endorsement of Desiree Alliance, a national organization that fights for and works for sex worker rights. We are endorsed by them. Tell me about sex worker rights. So again, I truly truly feel like it's it's impossible. It's impossible to push for workers' rights, for women's rights, for trans rights, for LGBTQI plus rights if you do not push for sex workers' rights. Uh, So we're pushing for full decriminalization because if we understand regulated industries within, again, a capitalistic society pushed by white supremacy, these individuals go into sex work oftentimes because they are oppressed, because they cannot make a livable wage, because housing is an issue, because they're either kicked out or discriminated against. So we truly have to fight for our sex workers' rights. We have to fully decrim on a federal level. Uh, FAFSA and SESTA is problematic because it does not positively uh, impact uh, sex trafficking. Right. So we really have to address these issues and f- fight for full decrease. So progressive stances, reparations and sexual rights, do you agree with both of those stances? Absolutely, and okay. actually, aside from the reparations, my legislation, House Bill 5544, actually addresses sex workers and protection of the rights of women and girls and individuals who categorize themselves as transgender. We believe in decriminal decriminalization right. of sex. Absolutely. Right? Okay. Absolutely. All right. And, repara- and, and reparations as well. And not just reparations as writing a check. 
or just uh-huh. job creation. No we need right. reparations in the form of we need reparations in the form of wealth, mm-hmm. uh, generational wealth, equity, closing that equity gap, um, education, housing. Um, you, it runs the gamut, and I think that it's definitely possible because other demographics of people in the United States who have. For example, the Japanese American who were put in internment camps, they were given reparations. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, do you believe in repealing Section thirteen twenty five of the Constitution and <laughs> oh, making crossing the border a civil crime? It's, and it's not actually a crim- the Immigration uh, and Nationality Act. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think presidential candidate Julian Castro has yes. it right on the head. It, it we need to repeal that. Okay. No, no and question. One hundred percent. And I just want to shout out Paso West Suburban Action Project. My organization worked with them and collaborated to pass welcoming village ordinances. Okay. We also worked with a church within the Pilsen community to buy them a security system that was being harassed by a white supremacist organization. So for years, we've been boots to the ground fighting for our immigrant and migrant populations. So 100%. Okay. So good. I'm now, glad you guys agree on that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> glad we agree on that. <laughs> Did you that's, try to end on a good note? That's one, of my, that's one of my big stances, y'all. All right? Yeah. We, we need to repeal that. Now, um, when we talk about this district, Okay, and I think both of you guys have amazing policies. Both of you, you know, what what is what is one thing that you think? And as we uh, wind this down, what is one thing that you think that you defer or uh, uh, differ on your opponent on, whether it's policy or uh, mm-hmm. you know fighting stances? Uh, I give this to Anthony first this time. Yeah. yeah, for me, you know, I think we're speaking truth to power. We're a movement. In 2018, I was nominated to run. You know, I didn't wake up and say I want to be a politician. I didn't wake up and say, you know, I'm going to run for office. I was nominated by the community because in 2017, I was community member of the year, village of the year in Oak Park, based upon the work that we do. So I think what's good about our movement and what's great about our movement is we're building coalitions. Shout out to um, the Maywood community, uh, you know, Best of Proviso Township. We're doing work with them, reaching out in mental health work, gun violence. Shout out to the community centers in Austin that we're working with, BUILD, and Institute of Nonviolence Chicago, Good Neighbor Campaign. So we're doing this work. We're ingrained. And I think I'm going to end on it's bigger than policy. Because perfect example, slavery ended, correct? We had the Emancipation Mm -hmm. Proclamation. We Mm -hmm. realize why we celebrate June 19th, 1865, but yet and still slavery still exists. The women's suffrage movement occurred, but yet and still women are oppressed. So we could go on and on and look at policy and legislation. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest issue is to understand we are in an ideological war. And we're mm-hmm. fighters, and we're boots to the ground, and we're educating the communities. Shout out to, uh, you know, Martise Chisholm. We were just in their community trying to educate on single-payer health care in the hood, in, you know, in the Austin community, uh, in Garfield Park. Shout out Park. to Martise. Right, shout working. out. National Nurses United. They're doing their thing. So we're yeah. boots to the ground moving beyond legislation. Because after the legislation passes, our work is not done. Mm-hmm. As yeah. people, we have to continue to hold our representatives and our policies accountable, and we have to be willing to fight. Because this is a marathon, not a sprint. And if we're truly pushing for systemic change, it's going to take us to do it on the ground. Kena, what's one yeah, thing? Yeah, I think different? the one thing that I learned from 2015 and 2013 when we were fighting for Rakia and everybody else and Laquan is that we can do the direct action. It's important. It's critical. It's necessary. But if we don't have the voice at the table writing the policy and forming the policy, then we're not going to get the resources we need to start shifting and changing the culture around what's happening. And we don't stress that enough in the community. We have a lot of activists and protesters and advocates Advocates, and we don't have enough policymakers, which is why we are seeing our communities but, crumble. But both of you guys are young. What's one thing? What's what's something different about say, you? But let me finish. Anthony. What I will say is different. Is once again, I will go back to. I was born in Austin, raised in Austin. Okay. I'm still living in Austin. When I win the seat, I'm going to stay in Austin. And the working this election cycle 2020 across the country needs to be about the return of representative democracy of working class people who are dealing with what's happening in these communities right now because when the protests are over and the cameras and the lights go down on my front doorstep i'm still dealing with the issues and my by my apartment there's a vacant lot on one side and a string of abandoned buildings on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's cool, that w- our kids have to walk past abandoned schools and abandoned buildings mm-hmm. every year. So I think that the biggest difference is that I am bringing that lens and that perspective and in informing policy. So is it more about your upbringing and where you came from? Yeah, I think, you, what, I think what yeah. what got us to this place, him and I, I didn't just wake up and decide to run for Congress either. I wrote, I organized in my community. I wrote legislation lobby for it nationally and locally got legislation civil rights legislation passed into law on the statewide level and that was when i was new i was battle tested and ready to to run for office okay so now and before we get you asked the, you asked the same question so i just want to make something clear i wasn't born in austin i wasn't raised in austin but i'm in austin 
I'm in Inglewood, I'm in Maywood, I'm in Bellwood, I'm in Oak Park, I'm in River Forest on a daily basis, bringing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of investment. And I know who I see and don't see in the community and on those streets. So I think the difference is we've been building bridges, we've been building intersectional movements right. with you guys, our organizations. All right, but let, let me, me say that. Let me, you guys have both done some great things. Yeah. So. yeah. So let me say this okay. before we get to our last question, I'll let yeah. y'all get up out of here. <laughs> Um, right. Now, before we get to our last question, you did mention abandoned properties. One of the biggest yeah. things that I'm mm-hmm. I'm pushing for and working with the mayor on, and many people don't know about this, so this will be the first time people hear about it, but uh, is we need a redevelopment authority in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you, either one either one of you have explored this, where most major major cities have redevelopment authorities that focus solely on the development of neighborhoods, taking a red tape away from aldermen, uh, and yeah. actually focusing fully this authority just like CHA is supposed to focus on public housing mm-hmm. this redevelopment authority solely focuses on development and takes all of the the land that we have and repurpose it and you know uh, awesome. uh, now Absolutely. so that that is awesome. one of my pushes and and my ideas that I'm I push on the mayor to explore and explore that now what do you guys feel about that when you talk about housing or do you got a better idea yeah so on the federal level what we need to do in Illinois 7th is um, work around the housing choice vouchers that are already implemented and that basically gives people rent subsidies Mm -hmm. um, even in the private market for those who are struggling to have or to obtain housing um, in a lot of the marginalized areas um, across the district and let me just say that yeah I know I've, I've harped a lot about my hood being from Austin but the the issues in, that we're seeing and and one marginalized community can be mirrored even on the south side in places like Inglewood once again back of the yards Bronzeville people who I've spoken to all across the district yeah. who are saying that a housing is a huge issue criminal justice yes. reform is a huge issue yep. um, and housing in particular um, in Illinois seventh because we have something called million dollar blocks mm-hmm. where essentially people are being incarcerated the, the government is spending one million dollars mm-hmm. per block yep. um, in some of these marginalized communities um, equaling out to about a hundred million dollars a year to incarcerate people mm-hmm. and we know that people who don't have housing and people who don't have access to opportunities are experiencing that so i do support the uh, housing choice values. yeah no yeah. question uh for anyone that's following our movement you would know that we actually walked the entire district so we walked mm-hmm. over 30 miles sixty-one thousand steps on my fitbit from inglewood to downtown chicago all the way to hillside and we you know visited we filmed talking about abandoned buildings you know vacant yeah. lots and so on and so forth so i'm 100 percent behind that uh, because it's extremely important because if we recognize our history and we understand redlining the majority yeah. of mm-hmm. white families built their wealth based upon on home ownership. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were able to pass down that property value to the next generation. Yes. Black individuals have not had that ability because not of redlining. All. They housed us in communities, created hoods, mm-hmm. and again, FHA and our banks have been extremely predatory mm-hmm. in regards to our loan opportunities or lack thereof. So housing should be 100% a human, a human right. Yeah. I think on a congressional level, we need to look at funding, uh, You know, take funding away from our militarization. I was a military member. I know how much we spend on our military. We need to divert that to our yes, HUD in yeah. regards to our homelessness population in regards to our housing voucher population and we need to truly invest because that also ties into reparations building generational wealth by home ownership now there needs to be an entire oversight on hud as well like we can't lean on hud just because look at ben carson and he's running it and he's running it into the ground there are people who've had assistance from hud that have mold in their walls water leaking and i know that because i have family members who lived in uh, housing projects Mm. so i mean i think that we need a complete oversight to that and we need to be giving people the option and also pressuring um, on the federal level and the state level and city and local levels yeah. that people come up with ways to house um, the homeless. And now, lift the no, ban on rent control, no question. Okay. <laughs> now, but, all right, all right. Now, I'm going to get to y'all closer. Right. Now, but but tell me real quick. He talked about, uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, um, uh, a proponent of, of really diverting some of this uh military funding in oh. Illinois that's allocated for <laughs> Illinois Gross. to some of our cause. You agree with that? Just yes or no? Yes. You agree with that? All right, cool. Yeah. Now, closing. Now, tell me uh, in your closing, um, and I'm going to let you say what you want to say, but tell me how do you win? We have Danny Davis who has the mo- uh, a very powerful name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people believe that you got to be in a one-on-one in a real, real fight to beat somebody with that much power. How do you win with 
multiple people. Now, I got a new person that just jumped in a race last week, right? Mm -hmm. And and so how do you win with multiple people in the race? Uh, Answer that question for me. And is there any type of uh, consolidation plan uh, at a certain point? You can all answer that in one question. (laughs) And then talk about why you should be. This is like three questions. (laughs) And then talk about why you should be the next uh, uh, congressman for the 7th District. So just make that all in your closing and then tell me where they can find uh, uh, all your policies and stuff. All right, who are we going to start with? Kena. Okay. Um, so, number one, we've had an incumbent in office for 22 years. And I think that the argument that people make about splitting the vote is a very valid argument. And there's no contention there. It's far too early to say that the people who just jumped in should be jumping out. Um, given what I've seen from door knocking, from speaking to constituents in the district, from community members who asked me to run. My first two endorsements were by village trustees in the western suburbs and River Forest in Oak Park who said you need to run for Congress. These were elected officials. Um, There were also elected officials who are my friends who are currently in the city of Chicago within the district who said you need to run, right? So there's a groundswell and there is an opportunity for us to call a lot of these issues to the carpet. I think anybody who would say that they're just going to outright beat everybody um, is not being honest about the question of splitting the vote. Mm-hmm. I think, as you very well know in the electoral process, Jamal, mm-hmm. folks will get knocked off the ballot. Mm-hmm. There will be things that come up in life where other people will just step out of the race. And so yeah. it's far too early. The good news is that for the first time, in my opinion, Illinois 7 congressional voters will have a variety of um people who they can pick from or option of what they can pick from. And we haven't even really dug deep in candidate debates and forums, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, I think my track record will prove itself that I'm not just an activist, an organizer, a protester, but that is what I am in my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm a policymaker. I'm somebody who comes to the table. I have a vision for where I see our district going, and that's transformative and uh, all-inclusive and fully representative uh, district. Mm -hmm. And I think we could serve as a national model for the country on how to push progressive agendas forward. We are the fifth most democratic district in all of the country. Mm -hmm. So we don't get the political backlash of being bold activist leaders in those congressional chambers and on the front lines of our district. So we're building the coalition and if anybody wants to hear about some of the work that we're doing, they can go to Kina for Congress. That's K-I-N-A for Congress dot com and you can follow up with us. Number four? No, it's for the word for. Word for. So okay. yeah, Kina okay. for Congress. Yeah, you know, again, you know, I want to shout out my mother and father, Ron and Blanche Clark, you know, who sacrificed everything to provide me with that opportunity. And one of the things they instilled in me, we're huge Muhammad Ali fans. And one of his favorite quotes of mine is, service to others is the rent you pay for room here on this earth. Mm -hmm. And since I've been an adult, I've been paying rent and I've been focused. The reason we've gotten to the point we're at in 2019 with President Trump and his current administration is because for decades and decades and decades, we have failed to identify and address root causes. Trump is a symptom. And if you just focus on treating symptoms, the sickness remains. Mm -hmm. And I think through our work, through me getting, you know, village of the year, through us doing work, pushing hundreds of thousand dollars into the community, we've been focused on treating root causes and building strong coalitions between communities. We just didn't step up and go into communities when we started to run. We've been in these communities because Mm -hmm. elections come and go, but movements remain. We have national endorsements from brand new Congress. That's a realliance, digital left. Uh, We could go on and on. We have our revolution endorsement, Corey Bush, Shout out to her in St. Louis, Boots to the Ground, Paula Jean Swearingen, Amy Valella. We're here. We're fighting. So if you're truly looking for a movement that's attacking capitalism and white supremacy, that is the Anthony Clark 2020 movement. And one thing the incumbent told me in 2018, when we were the only individuals to step up and run against him and push him on the legalization of cannabis with a focus on racial justice when he did not back the legalization of cannabis. So we were leading on that issue is the fact that he said the reason I'm going to beat you is because I have 30 years of name recognition. 
We got almost 30% of the vote, honestly not knowing what we were doing at the time. But we also have aldermanic representatives right now that are pushing us and supporting us because we've been boots to the ground and fighting with them. And they also support us and want us to run. The community wants us to run. So, again, this is a movement. If you're just looking for an election, if you're just looking for a name to celebrate and a celebrity, that's not us. I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to make change. And that's what we're doing. Anthony Clark 2020. Visit the website, voteanthonyclark.com. You can check us out, social media, Twitter, everything. Holler at me. All power to the people. All right. <clears throat> Let me say this. What's, what's, uh, I know, Anthony, you got, you got, you got to go, right? Do you got, you got, you got a few minutes. You got to go. Few? Right? What's a few? What, uh, a few. My, my end of the hour is in nine minutes. You, okay, you, got, you, got, got nine you minutes got to end up nine minutes, I'm Kena? Here. I got oh, nine okay. minutes. All right. Oh, all right. Good. Okay. All right. Okay. I got nine minutes. All right. So look, let me say this. Uh, yeah, when we get to that point, now you talked about uh, uh, ballot and you talked about withdrawing. Mm-hmm. Now I withdrew and I supported uh, Lori Lightfoot. Now, mm-hmm. well, you guys at a certain point look at your campaign re- and evaluate your campaign at that moment and right. say, uh, "Will question. you withdraw and support somebody, or are you going to go in and try to be the big dog and uh, tie up people in court?" <laughs> So not, not, I, our campaign no. is being pers- it, it's it's being. Put I ain't actually put your campaign strategy out there. <laughs> no, no, no. Just our I'm campaign. Just being. No, I, well, you're, that's a question. Yeah. I don't make decisions by myself. I'm mm-hmm. the representative running mm-hmm. to be the representative of Illinois Seventh Congressional District. So the coalitions who have pushed me to this point, that would have to be a conversation that we have. But I have to say, we announced. Um, probably three or four weeks before Q2 came out, we did really strong on fundraising. We've got national endorsements as well, as well as local endorsements from within the actual district. I mean, I, it's too early for us to say. Do you believe in knocking people off the ballot? I think that that is going to have to be there when we it's going to have to be going to have to cross that bridge when we get there, because if you don't have valid signatures, that's a waste of the voters time. Okay. Right. So. All right, uh, so first, your your last question. You know, mm-hmm. I think you remember I was challenged actually three times by the incumbent and we mm-hmm. beat him three times. We mm-hmm. had to spend over ten thousand uh, dollars to beat his challenges. Yeah. I'm personally not going to challenge anyone because I don't believe that's democratic. I believe that we should leave the vote and decision up to the people. I think yeah. that's a strategy mm-hmm. that's part of the establishment and part of the machine to maintain power. Secondly, this is a movement. It is bigger than me, but it's not about me. You know what I'm saying? This is about the community. This is about the people of the 7th Congressional District. So if it gets to the point where we're recognizing, we're understanding that the people the people are speaking and getting behind someone else. Yeah. Again, it's not about my name. It's not about my ego. So no question. If it gets to the point where we feel like, you know what? Anthony Clark 2020 is not the movement that the people is choosing. We will back off. We will step down. We will withdraw. And we will get back behind the candidate that the people of the 7th Congressional District is choosing. No question. All right. All right. Let me get to the hard questions. Tell me about your fundraising, both of you, since, since you've been in a race. How's it been going? You know what? I'm going to be honest. You know, fundraising is always going to be difficult because our incumbent, he's not like a national, you know, recognized. I mean, he's national, but he's not polarizing in a sense. He's not a Dan Lipinski. uh, He's not a Trump. He's not someone that's hated. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a negative person. I'm not trying to knock him down. I thank him for his service. But because he's not necessarily controversial and polarizing, many people within the district in the past, their narrative has been, well, he votes the right way. Yeah. So one of the Mm -hmm. things we're trying to educate again is this goes beyond voting the right way. And often Sometimes he does not because he sided with Republicans on rolling back protections for Dodd-Frank. Yeah. And we know the impact that our banks have on our systems. Right. Uh, and he takes, you know, corporate money and money from pharmaceutical companies. Uh, so our fundraising, we're building. You know, in quarter, we started fundraising in quarter two, actually. So I announced in quarter one, we were kind of getting our things in order, uh, you know, trying to get to quarter two. Uh, so we're over, you know, 20K right now. And mm-hmm. we're going to build. We're going to continue to build. And we're seeing our fundraising continuing to increase, of course, with other candidates in the race. That's going to impact your fundraising Definitely. abilities. But, no, we're, we're happy with where we're at right Kena. now. So I actually um, announced three weeks or I think a little bit over, like two days over four weeks before Q2 was over, and we're well over. We were we were over 20K. Okay. So so fundraising has been. It's been good. So it's actually been going really well. Who's leading it's, in fundraising at, uh, at uh, this moment? Between, well, we, don't Danny Davis? Because, we don't know. We don't we know. I think it comes out on Tuesday. Tuesday okay. But what I will say is that. Um, like what's Danny Davis doing right now? Anybody know? I mean, he's, I, I beat him in individual fundraising in 2018. I mean, yeah, I think so he's. Small, yeah. small dollar donors. I don't think that. He doesn't uh, focus on those. 
any yeah. of the candidates are going to have a hard time beating the incumbent on small right. dollar donors. Right. Right. Um, but what I will say is that um, one of the big difference between me and the incumbent is that I am not taking corporate PAC money. I'm not taking lobbyist money. I'm not going to be Same influenced here. by those things because it does impact the way that you move policy and legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, you know, a, a huge difference between the kind of campaign we're running and what has happened in Illinois 7th Congressional District. All right, stay with you, Keena. Name something good about Anthony Clark and about his campaign. I think that it's great that Illinois 7th Congressional voters will have a variety of progressive candidates to choose from. I mean, name something mm-hmm. good about you. I mean, that wasn't directly I mean, good about me. I think that that's, <laughs> guys, that's oh what's God, really, I, I think that that's what's really good. I think that First of all, when you have young people who are energizing the electorate in any way, that's great for the entire electorate. Okay. So at the end of the day, we're all on the same team as Democrats, uh, yeah. progressive Dems, let me specify. And, you know, hopefully, like you said, we, we were able to move forward. Anthony, go ahead. Same question. Yeah, I mean, I've known Kena for some time now. Uh, you know, and I think I, I appreciate her passion. You know, I, I truly believe that she's passionate about her goals and her aspirations. Yeah. Uh, so I can recognize that, that she's very passionate. Yeah. Very passionate. Okay. I think you both are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Look, I'm, I'm staying neutral. <laughs> I'm staying like, neutral. We got to shout out Mark, though. Yeah, yeah, shout out Mark. No, You're both awesome. You yes, know, Shamal, yeah. I hope that as you bring more people on, one thing that yeah. we really didn't get to delve into is, and I'm glad that you uh, segued into 13, Section 1325, but yes. we do need to talk about immigration. Definitely. Particularly, uh, no I know that a lot of people yes. don't think that's a black issue, but before I came here, exactly. I was actually on the phone with a group of refugees and undocumented peoples and the Illinois 7th Congressional District who are Haitian, who are from Ghana, who are from Nigeria, Mm -hmm. and they're saying, Kina, what are you going to do to protect us when Mm -hmm. we deal with mass deportation as well, but we're not having the conversation centered on us, and so we're activating a plan for Sunday for these ICE raids that are happening, that are inhumane, because they're coming after people who have been, literally, this is the only country that they've ever known, and so I hope that as you continue to have these mature conversations with congressional leaders, that come up that we broaden and expand what our yeah. mobilization can do. Yeah, we got to shout out. I, I talk about Im- I talk about immigration right, a no lot. Question. We talked about it a, a lot last last show, yeah. Janella. Yeah. <laughs> oh and God. I just want to say, but, everybody that knows yeah, the AC twenty twenty campaign, you know, I'm on the front lines. We were just in direct confrontation with police officers. We've been to multiple protests, multiple mobilizations. Again, we worked directly and collaborated with Paso to pass the welcoming village ordinances. We trained ourselves on sitting with DACA applicants and filling out their renewal applications. We purchased. Security systems and protections for churches with uh, immigrant members uh, that were being harassed by white supremacist organizations. Uh, so we're directly dedicated, and we're going to continue to fight. And Paso's having an event at the Daily Plaza Center tomorrow at 11 a.m. Please yes, show up. Yep. Um, it's going to be a big showing right. of support. And I hope everybody's there. And shout yeah. out to Moni. Shout Ruiz out to Moni. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Both of you guys will be there. I'm sure. Yes. Right. I, I continue to be there. Yes. Yes. I continue to be there. Okay. All right. So I, I'm I'm glad to see both of you guys on the front lines and. If yeah. I can say anything good about <laughs> this race is that <laughs> both of you uh, are going to be uh, uh, two great leaders in yes. the community. When I look at you guys, you know, I always talk about the future of this state. And when you talk about the future of this state, we look at the next three election cycles and every old politician that we have uh, is uh, either going to be retired or dead. I'm going to just be honest and be flat out. And when we, we, we need new leadership to be right now preparing to take those spots right even if you look at the fbi they're coming after all type of the oldest politicians they even going they they raided the house of um uh, I forgot his name. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Michael Madigan's. He was close to Michael Madigan. He's the old alderman. They they rated him today. I get his name mm. in two seconds. But they are zeroing in on different politicians yeah. throughout the state. And if young people don't understand our power, what we have mm-hmm. uh, over the next few election cycles, we're going to lose that power. We have the opportunity right now to uh, uh, continue to uh, build a movement and build new leadership for the state mm-hmm. of Illinois and, and get involved, and get involved. And get regardless involved. of what happens oh God, in this. Uh, yeah. And regardless of what happens in this race, um, I see both of you guys as the leaders of tomorrow yes, right here. Now, matter of fact, we have tomorrow.